Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. On this episode of the LOL Pod, I talk about what's been going on in my world and the world at large. So I'm talking about everything from bonnets to boundaries to mental health breaks. Let's jump in. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you're listening to the Labors of Love Podcast. So today it's just me again, and I think I'm just going to do some musing. Um, I have to say that um, it has been a slightly a struggle to get back in the studio for the podcast. Um, I've done a lot of traveling over the last month and a half, two months. So, you know, we've had some episodes that were that we had in the queue, you know, and then because of my traveling, I wasn't recording and I just want to be honest, like sometimes, and I love the podcast. I love what I do. I love my guests. And, um, but yeah, I, I think, I think that's the first muse. Like sometimes you can love what you do and still be tired. So I think we are somewhere around 70, 71 episodes. And that is amazing. So can we just take a moment to celebrate that? Like I want to, I know um, that we're over 17,000 streams and that's amazing. I mean, it's so humbling to think that people have wanted to tune in and, and listen to me and my guests that many times. And I just have so much gratitude. So thank you to my consistent, loyal listeners. I really do appreciate you. And for those who can tune in every once in a while, maybe this is your first time listening to the podcast. Welcome. Um, so yeah, I, I have some wonderful guests lined up. I really do. But what I really appreciate is that I have been prioritizing taking care of myself. And that means uh, blocking whole weeks off in my calendar when I'm not working. And it means not working when I'm not working. Um, I have been spending a lot of time with my family. We recently built a home and moved in and I've been enjoying my home. And so, yeah, I, I love that. And what that sometimes means is that the things that I enjoy doing that I know that I'm called to do, um, sometimes I don't, you know, I have to take a pause, but here we are. And so, yeah, last week, um, we skipped it was the first week ever that we did not put out a brand new episode of the podcast. And I'm going to tell y'all, we were preparing to um, go back to Detroit. My friend and God sister was getting married and I was so excited to, to witness her union. And uh, though <laughs> I'm still a procrastinator. So we're talking, we were leaving Saturday morning. And Friday, we still had not packed. Um, we were going to be gone Monday, so we needed to record a podcast episode. So we're like, okay, we're going to get it done. And then I had this awesome um, community that I'm a part of that we meet once a month. And I had that call. So we had to get up early, leave by like seven in the morning to get to Detroit. 
in time for me to do this call. And I was stressed, y'all, talking high anxiety, um, just, and every time I go to Detroit, I get a little uh, pre-Detroit trauma response going on and I'm working through it and I'm recognizing it faster and I have things to deal with it, but sometimes it it still comes and I'm I'm going with that convenient narrative, right? Oh, I'm tired, oh, this, but no, really, my body is kind of gearing up to go into this protective mode. That happens when I go back to Detroit because that was the place of a lot of my trauma. So I'm just saying all that to say there came a point where Jay was just kind of like, hey, we don't have to do an episode. And it's like, what do you mean? Like, what are we going to do? And he's like, we just put out some advertisements for some, for some episodes we've done in the past. It happens. People take breaks. And it was just, it felt really good to get that validation. You know, I was trying to, what are people going to do? People going to, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> I very much appreciate that there are people who look forward to these episodes coming out every single week. I do. It means so much to me. And I'm so glad that, um, you know, that this is content that people want to hear. And you know what? Everybody was all right. So I'm back. And I'm very excited to just share a few of my thoughts about some things that have been going on in the world that I'm privy to, that I've thought about, that I spend some time thinking about and talking about with, you know, people that are close to me. And so one of them is, can we talk about bonnets, y'all? So I I don't know the the exact um, racial or cultural demographics of all of my listeners, but I'm going to fill y'all in. So in case you don't even know what a bonnet is, a bonnet is, um, a satin hair covering with, um, usually with, um, some kind of elastic on it to, you know, make it stick to your hair and it, it protects your hair, uh, very largely used, um, by African-American women, um, to protect our hair. So when we're sleeping at night on pillows, cotton, and all that stuff, and our hair rubs against the fabric of our pillows and our sheets, it can cause breakage in our hair. And so I was going to say since the dawn of man, but like for real, for a really long time, um, African, and it's not exclusive to African-American women, but Black women have been using um, hair scarves, satin scarves, and uh, bonnets to protect our hair for many, many generations. And so there's been this uptick. And from my understanding, it's been a thing, you know, people saying um, that people, when they say people, red, Black women, should not be wearing their bonnets outside of the home, that it's a thing you wear in your home, like at night. It's kind of like pajamas for your hair. And I think more recently, the comedian Monique uh, did some kind of live stream video podcast. She did some kind of something where she pretty much was saying, um, hey, queens, don't wear your bonnets outside and your pajamas and stuff like that. Like, you're worth more than that. Um, Don't hide your beauty. Now, I didn't see that particular video, which I did hear she did like, in a bathrobe, <laughs> I did see the video where she essentially addressed people's response to that video. And she pretty much said, 
um, I'm okay if y'all mad at me for what I said. And she gave some examples of um, highly respected and influential Black women in the entertainment industry who had said some things to her throughout her career that hurt her feelings at the time, but she credited for really kind of, quote unquote, getting it together, um, helping her see her worth and, you know, doing things better. And she equated what she had said in this video to her being that auntie, that mom, that, you know, that person who's saying, I'm going to tell you the hard things, even if you don't want to hear them so that you can be better. And so I've been thinking about the bonnet thing. And, and then there's, so then now, you know, everyone has an opinion because people have opinions and people have been talking about it. And some people are saying, what y'all mad at Monique for? Is she telling y'all what y'all mamas would tell y'all? And, you know, y'all shouldn't be wearing your bonnets outside. And some people are saying, I don't wear my bonnet outside and I would never, you know, allow my children to do that. You know, it's ghetto. It's unprofessional. It's, it's all these things. And then there are some people who are like, I'm grown. I can do what I want to do. You know, there's a whole sect of people who are saying like, you know, my bonnet doesn't make me less of a person, blah, blah, blah. So it's all these things. And so I want to give my opinion. If everybody has one, I'd like to share mine. And my opinion is that this ain't got nothing to do with bonnets. <laughs> so many things usually have so little to do about the thing we've assigned it to. It's the convenient narrative. Are we really talking about bonnets? I I don't I don't think we are. I think we are talking about white supremacy culture and its residual and direct impact on how black women are viewed, about how their bodies and their attire are policed. I think it has to do with um, an age-old, generations-old um, historical experience where um, the white gaze is, um, is so prevalent and so heavy that um, Black people, with a very specific emphasis on Black women, um, are expected to shift and change and morph, do and don't do, um, as an attempt to satisfy the white gaze. And and let me be clear what I mean by the white gaze. So by the white gaze, I mean how white people are looking at Black women, but I also mean those who ascribe to whiteness and how they're looking at Black women. And I want to be clear um, and I've shared this before on podcasts, I was very much culturalized and socialized towards whiteness. So I just, it's less about immediate, direct. Um, some of these things were like directly said, but it was what I picked up, what I absorbed growing up. It was a few things. One, um, I lived, I grew up, in, was born and raised in Detroit. Um, central Detroit, literally around the corner from Central High School. Um, I was not allowed to go to public school, so I went to private schools, which if you want to go to, you get a good education. The perspective was you go to private school. The only private schools that were really available were Catholic schools. So I went to Catholic school from kindergarten to 12th grade. And my schools were always around 12 to 15 minutes by car away from where I lived. 
So one lesson I absorbed was um, success, um, success is over there. Where you should be is over there. Um, really, the only thing I did in my neighborhood was sleep. And so I began to absorb this idea that like everything worth doing and being and all that was over there. And my dad specifically, again, maybe it was directly things he said. Sometimes it was his, the look he would give, not to me, but at other people. Um, he has so many disparaging things to say about us. When I say us, I mean Black people. He threw the N-word around like it was nothing. And it was not, uh, for him, it was not a term of endearment. And I began to pick up on from a very early age, what was acceptable and unacceptable, how, how you talk, how you um, are out in public. And all of these things I absorbed, some of them I knew I was absorbing and it was very conscious, some of them not. And as I've been doing my own healing work, as I've been going through the process of somatic abolitionism, as I have just been doing my own work, I began to realize how much um, racism I had internalized, how much my um, socialization and culturalization towards whiteness had impacted how I not just see myself, but how I see other people who are Black. So yeah, without even consciously doing it, I would move into judgment about other people if they were doing certain things or wearing certain things and why they, it was always a they, because, you know, I'm not one of them. Yeah, hey, it's real. And so I, I, I'm doing my work. And that's why when the bonnet thing came up, I'm like, oh, no, I, I've seen this before. I've seen this in me. I don't have to point fingers at anybody. Like, I, I know how this shows up because it showed up so much in me. The policing of the attempt to police and and um, have so many thoughts about what other people should be doing. I remember back in college having conversations about um, hair, natural hair, and going into corporate America or the workforce. Now, keep in mind, when I was back in college, I, I was in I feel like I was, I, well, I now realize I was in like this traumatic haze. I was a shape-shifting people pleaser, which meant don't form an opinion. And if you have one and it's anything that's contrary to what's being presented, just kind of keep it to yourself until you find people who share the same. So I wasn't very vocal about it. I, I again, part of it wasn't, it was don't form an opinion, but I just remember, and these were conversations with Black people specifically. And there was the the people whose thought process was, look, if you want to be successful, straighten your hair. Like, don't go up in there looking all whatever, ghetto, this and that. And so, you know, now I've also shared, I've had a perm or had a perm, which let me also clarify culturally, perms or relaxers make black people's hair straight because it generally, our hair grows out of our hair certain extent obviously not all but most so i i had been culturalized towards straightening my hair since i was five years old that breaks my heart right now um whenever i talk about it because my goodness 
five years old. My girls are five. And the girl, listen, there was no just for me when I was five years old, where it's this gentle formula, no lie, Mm-mm. Revlon, y'all, when I was five years old. So imagine what chemicals, harsh chemicals on a five-year-old's head can do, I don't know, residual impacts that I might not even recognize are happening, but also to my hair texture, all that stuff. So we have this conversation and people are saying, I'm going to be authentically me. And other people are saying, well, then you're not going to be successful. And these are conversations we're having at in a college. And that so many of us were aware even early on that there was going to be a struggle to show up authentically as ourselves. And so when this bonnet conversation started to happen, I'm kind of like, I don't think we're really talking about bonnets. I think some people think they're talking about bonnet. But I began to just listen and read and my heart began to break at how so much of this is just, um, it's not just that, you know, we're policing Black women and all that. It's our, you are literally equating someone's value to what they got on their head when they walk outside the house to their character, to all these things that we don't know anything about a person. But if they choose to wear a satin hair wrap bonnet outside of the house, then it automatically characterizes this at this one thing. Y'all, if that is not the epitome of white supremacy culture, the white supremacy culture that equates whiteness to humanity and everything else is less than, what is? So I think we, let's, let's, let's stop pretending we're talking about bonnets and let's talk about what we're really talking about. Do Black women have autonomy with how they show up in the world without everybody else coming in and trying to tell them what they should and should not do because their value is equated to what everybody else says it is? That's what we're really talking about. So that is my opinion on bonnets. It ain't about bonnets. (laughs) So that's one thing. Um, What else I want to talk about? Okay. Um, Yeah, I'm going to say Let's talk about um, let's talk about what I'm doing right now. This is so important. I think if anyone's listening and you have in your life ever subscribed or ascribed to people pleasing, you know how hard it is to give an opinion. Because if your trauma response is flock. I got to be near people, but really you move kind of into fawn, move into this submit, this frozen state where we don't want to be cast out, don't want to be left alone, don't want to be isolated. So we do whatever we need to do or perceive that we need to do to feel connected. If, If that is you, and it's not everybody for sure, then you know how hard it is that like speaking your truth is an act of vulnerability. I just want to say that if you're speaking your truth, if you find a time to do it, if you make a post, that is hard. And I found myself lately having to recognize and high five myself to realize how far I've come, that I come, that I can seamlessly, if I'm not careful, slide back into the space of non-committal communication. Um, 
not imagine weaving, not really, um, really saying anything. Um, I related. So if y'all like Hamilton, the musical, I related to Aaron Burr. Talk less, smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. Like, I know he was the villain, but like, I get it. So I just want to say, just being able to come and say the things I'm saying, I'm celebrating that. And I'm learning because part, so I, part of the fear um, for me specifically was yes, disconnection and things like that, but it was also not wanting to be wrong. I realized that I was so socialized around there's a right and there's a wrong. And you know what? There are so many things where that doesn't apply. But when you grow up in family systems and social structures that insist that something is right and wrong, when they are sometimes just trivial and very subjective, then it's not uncommon to develop this fear of being wrong. So, you know, I joke with people in my example, it's like, does the toilet paper roll go over the roll or does it come up from up under? I go over roll. And then people who agree with me, they like, but that's the right way. And I'm like, it is the right way. No, but it really is it. It is a way. And people will argue you down about whether toilet paper goes over or under. Somebody is listening to this right now going like, nah, girl, it go under. Are they like, you're right, it go over. And just think about that. So think about how if there is a right or wrong, and and I don't want to say because, but what if I'm wrong? So for so long, I wouldn't say anything because what if I'm wrong? Because every opinion that I have, every opinion that most people form is based on the information they have at the time. And I am so grateful that we can change with new information. If we could not change with additional data, then all of the work to abolish racism and sexism and homophobia and all of these other isms and forms of oppression, it wouldn't matter if there was not a capacity for people to change with when they receive additional information. So I had to remind myself that, and I will sometimes say this in conversation, mm, I don't know, okay, I'm gonna say this right now, but I reserve the right to come back if I get additional information and change my mind. That was terrifying to me. So I'm just celebrating that I have a whole podcast and when I want to, I can just come on and talk. I probably shared this too before. I don't listen to podcasts. Um, no disrespect to myself. I don't listen to mine either. Um, I trust my producer, <laughs> but I just, it, it's, I don't have time. And before, you know, I started a podcast because I had some supportive people that I really trusted in my life that said, you should do this. And so I did, and I love it, but I don't really listen to them. So my husband listens to podcasts and he's my producer. And there is a podcast that he listened to. He listens to, um, oh my goodness, what is his name now? Bomani Jones. He listens to Bomani Jones's podcast. So I recognize that at any point or given time, I can come into a space with my husband and he's going to be listening to this podcast. So Bomani Jones's voice sticks out to me. And so I just paused one day and listened. <laughs> and I was just like, and, and don't get me wrong, I don't like or dislike Bomani Jones. I'm rather indifferent. And I mean that in the most neutral way possible. Um, all I know about him is what I know from my husband, but I think he is, um, he's a sports guy. So most of his pot, he works, works, 
I think still for ESPN, but he also has a podcast on the side. Um, and so he's a smart dude. I think he's super smart. He knows his sport. But I'm listening to this podcast and I'm like, so people just listen to him talk about what he thinks. And Jay's like, yep, that's his podcast. And I'm just like, where? and this dude has so many followers, right? So many people who tune in. And I'm not even hating, but I'm just like, so that's the thing. So people just genuinely want to listen to what a person thinks. And I was struggling, like, I don't have anything to say, you know, because there was this idea that you have to be a foremost expert in this, this, and this, and this. But I realized, like, some people just want to hear what people think. Well, I can think, and I can share what I think. But that still felt very vulnerable to me. And so I'm celebrating that. I'm celebrating that with y'all. Like, these are the things that I'm thinking. And I, I do not say, I think I did live a portion of my life where I share things in an effort to get people to agree with me. Um, I don't know, that that felt, you know, I had to convince people of things. I'm at a stage now where it's not about convincing. I'm gonna speak my truth. You don't have to agree with me. I hope you listen to me because I do think that I can be um, rational. I think I have a lot of skills that I've developed over time that allows me to take multiple perspectives and a way to articulate information that makes it make sometimes these complex ideas easy to understand what I'm saying. Sometimes when I'm in a training, or I'm in therapy, I might say to someone, does that make sense? And I will pause and say, now, what I'm not asking you is if you agree with me. You don't have to agree with me. I just want to make sure that what I have said to you makes sense. Like you can understand what I'm communicating because at this point, it's not about agreeing with me. I do think a lot of things I say, I wish people did agree with me because I know that they're right and accurate, but that's not the goal and people don't have to. And I, that has allowed me to realize that I don't have to agree with other people, but I do need to listen. And it's put me in a position where I, when I say I get it, I get a lot that I sometimes don't think a whole lot of other people get because I've slowed the process down enough to listen to what a person is saying and take into account their lived experiences. I don't go in saying I have to guard myself from my perspective being changed or I have to protect my position because I'm not going to change it. But I come in saying, let me just be, let me listen. And so I wanted to share that because I, I think that's a big deal um, that I have steadily continued my growth process out of people-pleasing, out of shape-shifting, and really just kind of being authentic. You know, I I did not think, uh, my authenticity journey started, oh wow, 10 years ago. Well, yeah, so nine or 10 years ago. Um, we're coming on 10 years. I'm gonna be 40 this year, y'all. I just wanted to say that. I love it. Um, I do not look like what I've been through. And so um, I do not feel like what I have been through. Whew, I can shout up in here. Listen, so 40, my, my, authentic, my authenticity journey started when I was 30. And um, I am just celebrating how far I've come in that journey. It has not been linear. It has not been easy, but it's going. And I, I'm just so grateful for that. And so I hope that for other people. Um, okay. Can we talk about Naomi Osaka, please? Naomi Osaka is a young uh, 
American. She's American. <laughs> Talking to Jay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's American. I think. But anyway, she's so culturally, I think she was born and raised in America. She is Japanese American, I believe. She's young. She's so talented. She's a tennis player, if I didn't say that. Um, and I don't watch a lot of tennis. Speaking of my culturalization towards whiteness, my dad really wanted me to really, really like tennis and golf because in his mind, they were white sports. And so um, so I did. I grew up watching the Williams sisters, Serena and Venus play. And uh, my introduction to Naomi is when she was playing uh, Serena in one of the tournaments. And uh, the girl is bad. She is a, 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 she's a very great tennis player. And then she was very vocal um, over the last year and a half. Uh, at one of the tournaments, every day she wore a different mask with a, a, a Black person who had been slain by the state on her mask and everything. And she has said that she really struggles with anxiety. And one of the things that gives her a lot of anxiety is talking to the press. And so what I have learned being married and partnered with a sports guy is that in all your major sports, part of your professional contract is to talk to the media. So it's not really optional. If uh, those of you who are familiar with football player Marshawn Lynch, um, he was contractually obligated to talk to the media, but he would attend press conferences and his response to every question would be, I'm just here so I don't get fined. I'm just here so I don't get fined. So that was his stand in active rebellion against talking to the media that he wanted to talk to. So during the French Open, um, Naomi had expressed apparently that she really didn't want to talk to the media. Um, I think some of the reasons she was citing was they were negative or doubtful of her and it was just hard for her to overcome that and, and do that and, and she had anxiety. So she understood she would get fined. She was fine with the fine. She even suggested that the fines that were taken from her um, be donated to like, causes that help with mental health. And so essentially all these uh, tennis or um, beings came together and said, nope. So she resigned from the French Open, which was a big deal. But now I want to talk about this the same way I talked about bonus because I don't even think this is what we're talking about. People, some people were celebrating. Yep. Great job. Way to take care of yourself. Way to demonstrate self-care and other people were m-a-d y'all they was mad how dare she how dare she what right so what are we really talking about i believe what we're really talking about in our culture i truly believe that people people in large uh sports spectators really believe they own the athletes I see this taking place when I watch any sport that I have a chance to watch, um, especially now that fans are allowed back into live spectation of sports. These some of these people really think they own the athletes. So I don't I don't know, you know, what they were talking about. They mad. I think they mad because this young woman had the audacity to take care of herself and it wasn't nothing they can do about it. I think they met because she demonstrated that she was not owned by them. 
Now, some people, the reality is money-wise, it was something crazy. A very large portion of her money, her salary, her her income comes from endorsements. It don't even come from playing tennis, right? But I don't want to just focus on the money. Because people are like, she rich, she can do, no, no, no. She took care of herself. And in today's culture, people read women of color who actually prioritize their own self-care. It is an act of rebellion and people are pissed. We are not all um, high profile athletes with billions of dollars or millions of dollars, but I tell you what we all are. We all are people who have the capacity to prioritize our own self-care. And let me tell you, people gonna be mad. And that's okay. Their anger does not have to stop how we sleep at night. We really do have the capacity to set a boundary, to let people know what that boundary is. And when that boundary is violated, we can bounce. Now, I know that might seem to the person who is living check to check, working a job, who does not have millions of dollars in this reserve bank, getting endorsement deals to be like, you know, I can't do that. And I ain't saying quit your job. But what I am saying is, don't let fear of setting a boundary stop you from actually setting that boundary. I'm going to tell you who oftentimes is the worst boundary violator that each of us know. It's ourselves. We will set a boundary a hundred times. Let me tell you what it sounds like. They ain't gonna keep blah, 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 blah. Next time. So we set that boundary in our mind. But what we do is we violate our own boundaries. What I wanna remind us is that a boundary has nothing to do with another person. Naomi Osaka setting a boundary didn't mean the press couldn't keep coming at her the way they did. Her setting a boundary didn't mean that these various associations had to honor her. Her setting a boundary said, this is the boundary. And when it's violated, I'm out. We have to figure out for ourselves what that thing is. We can't stop people in our lives from doing what they do. And that's not a boundary. That's an attempt at control or manipulation. But what we can do is we can set the boundary and say, and if this is continually violated, this is my version of I'm out. And I leave it vague and broad like that because we all have different situations and scenarios that we're going through. And I'm not trying to be prescriptive, but I thought that she had enough to lose, that she was a really, really good example of of someone who prioritized what she said she was going to do or what she didn't want to do. And the people who are like, I was so like, I didn't even go into reading and figuring out why people were mad. Um, Cause whatever convenient narrative they came up with, I, I, I definitely think underlying that is how dare she. Um, and when people uh, are athletes or entertainers, People who consume their craft begin to take this possessive ownership mentality, whether they realize it or not. Um, Another just random example of this is um, if I am a San Antonio Spurs fan, I really don't watch as much basketball anymore, but 
I'm a, I'm a Tim Duncan fan, true and true. And so I loved the Spurs. But let me tell you about Coach Popovich, who is the coach of the Spurs. He arrests the player in a minute. He's not going to risk injury. So he will rest the player, meaning a player might not play a whole game or a whole couple of games. And I, rem- I just over the years have heard people being so mad about that. All that money they get, but whatever excuse they're using, it's the audacity that someone would prioritize, that the culture prioritized the holistic health of his players when they should be out there performing for me. That might not have been their exact words, but that's what they meant. I subscribe to NBA TV. I bought your jersey. I bought these tickets. And when people are buying these things for entertainment, I think whether they realize it or not, they think they own the people. It's also in some ways why we get kind of pissed off when we watch a movie series or a show and then the actor or, you know, one of the actors on the show turns out to be like a jerk in real life or something like that. It's like there's a sense of betrayal that we feel because we have invested in their craft and we've been consuming whatever they're giving. And there is a part of us that feels, I believe, this form of, um, if not ownership, definitely like we feel we're owed something. So I just want us to think about that. Not good, not bad, not right, not wrong, just something to think about. But shout out to Naomi. Um, I know that I ain't big, big, big time yet, but let me tell you, if she want to come on the Labors of Love podcast and chop it up, I'd love to have her because I am I am um, very um, impressed by her. And she's so young. And man, if I had them kind of boundaries when I was her age. So y'all, I think that's it for today. Um, just wanted to talk about a few things that were going on. And as much as I had kind of gotten out of my rhythm, as soon as I started talking, once I finished telling y'all how hard it was to get back in here, I'm like, oh man, well, I love this. I love this. And my listeners, genuinely, I love you. I, this is helpful for me. I, I'm an external processor, but it really isn't about me. I feel called to this. This is my work. This is my ministry. This is my calling. This is, this is what I do. So I hope that there was something that was said that was helpful for you. If not, I hope it helped you pass time. And apparently, you know, people listen to Bomani Jones just to hear what he's talking about. So thank you for listening to me (laughs) for what I'm talking about. I want to give a special shout out to Trey Angel, who provides all the music for the Labors of Love podcast, and to my producer, Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media. And of course, to you, my listeners. If you have suggestions for content, Yes, please reach out. You can find me at the website www.thelaborsoflove.com. We're on all the major social media outlets. If you haven't already, head over to Instagram to the underscore lol underscore pod, which is the Instagram page specifically for the podcast. And tune into our YouTube channel at the Labors of Love Counseling and Consulting. If you haven't already uh, given us a rating or written a review or share the podcast with a loved one or someone, co-worker who could benefit, please do that. Um, they would benefit and I'd really appreciate it. Until we connect again, you all be well. <laughs>